Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You're listening to War College, a weekly podcast that brings you the stories from behind the front lines. Here are your hosts. Hello, welcome to War College. I'm Matthew Galt, and I have some new voices to introduce you to. First up is Derek Gannon. Derek? How are you guys? How's everybody doing? And I've also got Kevin Nodell here with me. Kevin, how are you doing? Doing all right. Uh, so so as you guys know from last episode, Jason Fields is gone, and the War College is going to be changing up a little bit. The, the first big change is that Derek and Kevin are going to be joining me. Uh, Derek is going to be a co-host. Kevin is going to be a, an associate producer and voice of God in the background. Uh, doing, helping us get guests, figure out what we need to talk about, and do quick Google searches in the background to uh, fact check us in the moment, hopefully. Uh, but let's let's learn a little bit more about who the hell these people are. Derek, uh, who are you? That is a very good question. I think a lot of people keep asking me that. Who the who are you? Uh, hi, I'm Derek. Uh, I'm a 16 year vet, uh, Army veteran. Uh, it's finished my career out in this U.S. Army Special Forces. I was a Green Beret with uh, 5th Special Forces Group. Uh, got out, uh, worked in the medical field for a little bit, figured I really liked writing and wanted to continue to do that, and kind of just started uh, using my analytical skills and threat hunting skills that they teach you in Special Forces to just kind of see if I could pivot that to journalism. And it worked out for a while, and then... You know, it just journalism is hard. I like, you know, I like podcasting better, and and I moved on, and and then I decided to stupidly go back to college for a uh, degree in information security and cybersecurity. So, pretty much was a ground pounder for most of my life, and now I smack keyboards and pretend to be a internet tough guy for <laughs> for my twilight years. So that's that's pretty much me. Uh, I do focus a lot on. Um, the African region, the Syria region, the Middle East a little bit, and I've started to kind of really enjoy kind of a hobby deep dive of uh, uh, Eastern Europe, like Poland, Latvia, 
the Russian influences there. And then obviously my favorite, my favorite people of all people is China and their cyber, their cyber uh, warriors that they have going on. So I've been kind of deep diving that. That's right. Cause it always, I always forget. And you always remind me that um, you're something of a, of a cyber maven. You run Linux on your laptop. Is that correct? Uh, I run, well, I run Linux on everything, but right now, God, okay. All right, Matt. I run Linux on everything. I'm one of those Linux people that's like, mm, you should do Linux. Uh, but right now, the funny thing is, is everyone's going to laugh at this, is that I'm running all of this communication, recording, microphone, Skype, everything through a, a Windows 10 virtual machine. So kind of, I don't know if I'm like a Linux elite because I'm just like, you know, it's just easier to run some some shit through Windows. But yeah, I I run Linux. I've been doing it for about five years. Um. I took a course. Well, I got sent to a course when I was in the special forces that kind of uh, exposed me to the whole like Linux, cybersecurity, you know, back box. I'm, I'm an older guy. So it's like, in you know, hacking was still magical back then. And they started to introduce that as a, you know, a, a tool in the toolbox, if you will, as an adjunct for intelligence collection and significant actions and and just how to matriculate that data because even back in before I retired, we started realizing that that people were moving to the to the cyber realm, to the to the matrix, if you will. So we kind of needed to be a, get ahead of that. And it just, I mean, I I still went to weapons schools. You know, I was still a cool guy. Like, look at me, Kevin. Kevin knows. Kevin's probably laughing in the background at me. He's like, yeah, you know, I had the had the oh, guy no. sunglasses. I had the guns, the painted guns and everything, but in, you know, secretly, I, I had, you know, secretly I was smacking keyboards and, and learning this stuff. And when I retired, I, I went to a veteran, a special operations veteran owned news site, and I'll leave it at that. And I got introduced to a couple actual legit, I don't know what you call them, just OGs of the matrix that were like, Hey, I see some aptitude and I got taken under a, the wings of a, of a couple of these, these, you know, guys that work for the government doing this, you know, at the national security agency to other places. And they're like, try this, try this, try this. And it just kind of fell down the rabbit hole with it. Cause you know, one minute you're a direct action guy. I hate saying that it sounds so bad. And the next minute you, you know, you retire or you, or you, you get out and you're just like, okay, there's an itch that still needs to be scratched. And I found that threat hunting on the web and using networking and social engineering and cybersecurity, all that stuff kind of, you know, helped me scratch that itch of, of target deck matriculation, hunting bad guys, you know, threat hunting, things like that. It just kind of kept the brain, you know, operational. Call of Duty can do only so much, right? You gotta, you gotta, <laughs> You got to branch out and and, and I liked, do things like that. I like that you made the Call of Duty joke before I did because that is exactly where I was going. I, it was almost like I sensed it coming because I because honestly, you and I talk, I think I force you to talk about bla uh, Blackout and Black Ops Four more than I think you want to. But yeah, that's I mean, that's that's, that's me in a nutshell. Like so, right now I'm um I'm in your neck, your old stomping ground, Matt. Right now, going to probably your same college, finishing up. So I got. Uh, accepted into a, a specific program for cyber security engineers. It, um, so like the five years I, I was mentored by these, these, these two cyber ninjas, I'm kind of, I'm actually really happy because I'm not, I'm, I'm being challenged, but it's nothing that I haven't done yet. So 
it's just something new to do. It's something to keep keep the brain working and and still you know give back. I guess I don't really know what that means. Anything. And we just had Christmas, so that giving spirit. I don't know. So the so so War College's new co-host is a Green Beret, former Green Beret Cyber Ninja. Uh, Kevin, what the hell are you? <laughs> uh, that's an excellent question. Uh, well, uh, I am a journalist. Um, as I mean, I don't know. You you could introduce me a little bit. But but I wanted you to talk about yourself. You've got to learn to you know you have to learn to sell yourself. That's that's half of what being a journalist is, unfortunately. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Uh, I am a former contributing editor at uh, WarsBoring.com. May it rest in peace. Currently a contributor at uh, Playboy magazine and anybody else who's willing to pay me for stories. I've covered the Middle East also as well. I think covering the Middle East is a bit of a short sell on what you were doing for us at War is Boring when you were... Yeah, I was basically running um, field coverage for for the anti-ISIS campaign, uh, supervising a very small team of journalists, though I have to stress that I was not on the ground at the time. I was doing all of that remotely, which is an interesting look into the our new digital media world, actually, in a lot of ways. And you've written some books? Yes, I am a graphic novelist. And some of you may remember Kevin and Derek have both been on the show before. Uh, Derek, I think you're talking, we, we talked to you about Africa once and Eric Prince once, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, with Robert Pelton, by the way, too. That was, that was actually a really interesting show. That was a good one. Yeah. That's yeah. definitely a good one. I re, we, re, we, we ran that recently over the holidays. I saw it. I re, I re-listened to it. I was like, God, I sound like an idiot. But I mean, you, he you don't. Or if you well, do, you better you better shape up because this is about to get real professional real fast. It's about to get real. Yeah. I mean, I'm no. I mean, Kevin, I've known Kevin for God. I, I think you were like the, one of the what top maybe first three journalists that were like, hey, you need to write. How did you two meet? Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Kev. Uh, yeah, I, I was working with James Laporta, who now works at Newsweek. Congrats, James, and mm-hmm. I got connected with a Air Force special operations guy. And for the life of me, I don't remember his name. But he started this 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 site called Blue Force Tracker. And I think I had... Con- I remember that. I, and now, that was Nolan Peterson, right? Yeah, that's the guy. Nolan Peterson. Yeah, now he's in like the Ukraine doing, doing some really in-depth stuff over there. And I think somehow I got introduced to Kevin. I think either you read something I had written... No, you were no. I, it, other way around. Uh, you found me on Twitter, oh, right, running right. Uh, the Iraq coverage. We were just talking about. Right, and then we ended up realizing that we're from the same hometown. So then that helped. Right. God, yeah. I think, and then I got it, and then I talked to David Axe, and I came over and I wrote um, this big piece because I had actively offline been tracking. Al-Shabaab. Like, Al-Shabaab became my, like, white whale. Actually, it started with Mokhtar, Bel Mokhtar, and Al-Mobrutain, and then it just moved over to East Africa. Wait, wait, wait. Back back up. Tell the audience who those two people are. Oh, well, okay. So, Sheikh, Sheikh, I always screw that up. Uh, Mokhtar, Bel Mokhtar, was just, like, this OG Mujahideen from the, the, the CIA Afghan training camps, right? He just was this OG guy fighting the Russians in Afghanistan, but he still was a you know a Salafist leaning kind of fella. And he's also he's he's 
they called him they call him the one eye or the Marlboro man. Now, the reason why they call him the one eye is because he was screwing around in Afghanistan, I think in eighty two, literally juggling grenades. He was that's there's no bullshit. Like he was training other mooge how to use grenades before they went into the stinger thing and he I don't know how he pulled a pin. I don't know what the hell he was doing, but he was juggling grenades and one went off and he lost his eye. So after like after that, he became a pretty high muckety muck in the in you know the, the, the initial phases of Al Qaeda, which was I think was um, the Islamic Courts Union ICC or something like that. But he's he's Algerian. He's 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 an Algerian guy, and he, he went to Afghanistan to fight the Russians. Got trained up, uh, claimed. I'm saying claimed in past tense that he knew uh, Osama bin Laden. Like, he was in the bin Laden camps getting trained by the CIA to do all this other stuff. Long story short, sorry, I, I know a lot about this guy. It's super weird. He moves back to, uh, to Africa, and he, you know, he gets involved with the Islamic movement that was going on there and just became, like, a really high-up guy. And he was in, you know, a lot of stuff, like the Ones Who Bathe in Blood uh, group. He was uh, the ringleader... I don't know if you guys remember the Sahil, uh, where the French special forces had to go into one of their nuclear, uh, their one of their mining. They were had a mining operation for I think uh, iridium, not iridium, um, plutonium, and, and other things like that, like some stuff that they could, like yellow cake type of shit. Like they were they were mining it somewhere in in the Sahara, and uh, Mokhtar Bel Mokhtar took his group of fighters and kidnapped and killed a bunch of people over there it was a it was a pretty bad scene and he just became a bigger guy a bigger guy then he became like you know a head honcho and he had movement of oneness uh was another uh, you know group and then um the united states came in everybody remembers arab spring so you know libya fell and Mokhtar had married into uh there's a tribe in libya that um Qaddafi absolutely loved was the tuaregs they were no, they're like a Bedouin nomadic tribe. Well, he married into their. I guess the Tuaregs have royalty. He Mokhtar married one of one of his six wives. I think was a princess of the Tuareg, some Tuareg tribe. As soon as Libya fell, Mokhtar became like a de facto. He just collected these guys. So he was a part of the weapons just leaving Libya. I mean, just he was a part of smuggling that because the reason why he was called the Marlboro Man is because he sold everything from. Humans to to his his favorite thing to do was to steal Marlboro cigarettes and and sell those in the black market in Mali and Gao. So I started focusing on that guy because that's an HVT one and it was just kind of scratching that itch. I was like, wow, I, you know, I worked in Africa before. I knew these. He 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 he, cr- he created a supergroup, right? Like the Avengers of terrorism called Al Morbutin, and they just kind of started fluttering around, and they've always been there. Now, he's supposedly the Department of Defense in CENCOM says he's dead. Now, he's been drone struck, I think, like four times. I used to call him Teflon Jihadi because they're like, yeah, Mokhtar's dead. Then you pop up, do some gangster shit, and then disappear again. But no one's heard from him in about two years, so maybe he is dead. So that translated, that transitioned into where these guys were going and who were the biggest groups, terrorist organizations, because the GWAT is, is the GWAT, it's global war. Uh, the biggest group that I started kind of getting really into, almost romanticizing, which sounds horrible, was uh, Harakat al-Shabaab, or the, the youth, or the Shab- al-Shabaab. 
in Somalia, East Africa, which are in the news again for their Nairobi strike that they just did. They just did a whole suicide in, uh, attack at a hotel in Nairobi. The Al-Shabaab is in East Africa, and they're more of a nationalistic terrorist organization who had people that started them like uh, uh, Sheikh Rabao, Godani. All the, the core group of these guys were also guys that were trained in Afghanistan, and they just came home. They're like, okay, the, the Russian stuff is done. They just came home, and they just they still continue to be, you know, strict Sharia Salafist Muslims. The that old and that old story. They just came home. They just they just went home, and that's the thing that I loved about I love about uh, you know journalism as a whole, and and even I'm a part of this problem too. Is that the Twitter armchair natsecers, nat, national security, you know, gurus. Even to the general public is like, okay, these folks are defeated, so they're gone. I think we we think of wars as borders, like, okay, World War II was a border thing. Well, these this is an insurgency, so these they, are like water. They just, okay, well, they just got their, their asses handed to them in Afghanistan, or Afghanistan's over. They go home, but they, they don't just, they don't stop fighting. They don't stop with their ideology. And so, like, Al-Shabaab became like a really interesting thing for me especially in 2009 when they became ultra popular but around in the late 2000s they uh they pledged you know their fealty to to bin laden because you know he was still alive still and zawahiri and al-qaeda and just became a massive terrorist problem in east africa i mean it's from all of somalia down into kenya uh, you know, Tanzania, you know, they just, they, they're everywhere. They, they, they've kind of, Ethiopia has a problem with them. It's it just, it's in Somalia from Black Hawk down to now has always had issues. It's, it's, it's the quintessential failed state. And I don't know what else Somalians that I know are probably going to be upset that I said that, but it is a textbook model of a failed nation state due to it's just, it's, it's corrupt internal infrastructure and then just being forced with, you know, forced into issues of having had United Nations come in or NATO come in with peacekeepers, and that just caused a whole other problems. And it just Al Shabaab is actually have is is kind of being a little bit quiet right now. I mean, this is the biggest move that he'd done was the Nairobi operation. All all of this to say that uh, Derek knows exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I went off. <laughs> no, no, it's it's and okay. Are, no, it's Al-Shabaab. great. It's like, you know, another one of my white whales, you know, the, the issue, another thing too, what I find extremely interesting is, is Mokhtar, uh, Mukhtar, or Mukhtar Rabao. Rabao was one of the founding members of Al-Shabaab and he turned himself in in 2017 to the Somali government. And, you know, he's been living pretty well, uh, mainly because he didn't want to take the, their, the Al-Shabaab ideal of jihad global. He wanted to stay nationalistic. He wanted to have an African caliphate established in Somalia, and that went that goes that is going directly against the the, the core leadership of Al Shabaab right now. So they put a hit out on him. Al Shabaab fights themselves a lot more than they fight, you know, AMSOM or you know the the Somali federal government troops. Like they 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 go around and schwack each other a lot. So Rabao turned himself in. He took he took about I think 150 of his own loyal fi- fighters from his tribe because it's all about tribes. 
And Al-Shabaab came and, I guess, attacked him in Southwest State in the southern portion of Somalia, and he turned himself into the Somali government. Fun fact, the dude's now running for vice president of Southwest State in Somalia, and he's going to win. This guy's been killing Somalis since, like, 2002, and now he's a frontrunner for the VP position for Southwest State, which also, since we talked about Eric Prince earlier, fun fact, fun fact, Eric Prince's frontier Chinese, you know, owned Frontier Services Group has, I think, what two point two billion dollars mm-hmm. invested in Southwest State. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Well, yeah, I think we've discussed on the show before that Eric Prince and China have been investing money all over. Africa, right? Oh yeah, that's the thing. Is like we're not paying attention, and this is this is a huge critique. And I don't give a, I don't care if it's bad. The United States is focused is focused solely on kinetic GWAT operations when they they have failed to pay attention to the economic, you know, warfare or you know shadow wars that you got going that you have going. On. China and Russia are doing that. I mean, Russia has a what gross net. Gross national product the size of Italy. We know that. It's just mainly run by mafia folks and just you know dictatorship type folks. I mean that's that's my opinion. Yeah, but they figured out they figured out really innovative ways to power project in the new world, though. Right? Yeah, they do. And what do they use? They use social media. They, they're very good at the 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 ones and zeros of of you know social engineering. I mean, this, this is active measures. Russia's very good at it. You know, they, they talk a huge game. They, they, they're very good at stare ta- scare tactics. They, they play the long chess game. China? China just stays quiet and buys stuff. I mean, they own 70% of Africa, of which the majority of the precious metals that we use, even in our laptops, computers, cell phones, everything, they come from, they come from Africa. Well, China owns a lot of these. They have their fingers in a lot of this stuff. And now they have their first overseas base. Overseas military base ever in China's history is in Africa. It's in Djibouti. They, they're, they're claiming they set that up to protect the international uh, waterways from their oil, their oil terminals in and around like Tripoli and uh, Sert in Libya and, and things like that. Because, you know, I guess I guess some terrorist organizations actually it wasn't a terrorist organization. We don't know if it was a, it was Somali pirates that actually hit their hit their boats. And they said, OK, well, we're going to we're going to put a naval base. Along with about I think they have like 250 soldiers, infantry style soldiers. At that base, they're all. They also have. They've also sent. Uh, they have had their first overseas deployment of combat troops 
to Africa under the auspices of, of United Nations peacekeepers down, and I think in South Sudan, which is interesting because South Sudan and the Blue Nile, they own a lot of that because that is the most oil-rich area in in the region. Like Sudan and South Sudan, they're building terminals, they're building train stations, they're train tracks that go from South Sudan all the way to the the southwest state of Somalia's uh, new oil terminal that Frontier Services Group is building for the Chinese. So it's pretty it's a it's a pretty weird, interesting world. I mean, everybody it's, the United States missed it. You know, we, we were too busy focusing on the 10 year kinetic strike. You know, let's bomb it till it acquiesces type of thing. And the other two superpowers that were like, OK, this is. We can't beat them militaristically, kinetically. Let's beat them economically. Well, let's let's cast our eye back a little bit more. Yeah, sorry. No, no, it's okay. You don't need to apologize. This is just, audience, this is a very loose episode. We're just talking about the kind of the stuff that we missed over the break, getting everyone used to the new voices. Uh, we're going to be having, you know, some focused episodes coming up with guests where we're talking to people specifically about, you know, the Syrian withdrawal, um, as much as anyone knows anything that's going on with it. You know, what's going on in Afghanistan and some of the classic stuff where we go back and look at history. All that stuff is saying, staying. But, you know, just right now, just these are the new these are the new folks and these are the, the knowledge base that they're bringing. And I think it's important and I think it's good. And uh, have you guys looked much? I know that it kind of was happening as as we were getting on. Have you looked at the missile defense review that the, the, the Pentagon was was talking about and publicizing kind of as we were about to jump on? Uh, yeah, I'm really excited for uh, for Star Wars Part Two. That it's it is it's it's it is a lot like Star Wars, which was you know Reagan's proposed missile defense system from space in the '80s, and that's kind of what we're looking at again, right? Yeah, just with more robots, more robots. We're talking about it in terms of what's cool in the 21st century, but of course, lasers still seem to be very much part of it again. It's it's not even it's not even a really good script. It's like, it's, it's like Star Wars, the original came out, everybody loved it. And then George Lucas is like, well, I just came out with special edition because we got new CGI. I mean, it, there's, it's not a two. It's not a sequel. It's the same thing. They just added new shit to it. Like, new, like what Kevin said, robots and the, the lasers are still there. I thought it was funny. It's basically the same old space defense platform, but now we're going to have F-35 with some sort of interceptor built onto it supposedly going to take down uh, ICBMs as they're going up and also drones with lasers doing the same thing. Um, which would be a huge laser to uh, anyway, there's so many questions. I have so many questions and we just don't know. Matt, did you read? Okay. Did you see, I think you sent it to me. Did you see Jerry Doyle's Twitter, a Twitter thread of this, right? Yes. The writers, okay. He, he, that, okay. He breaks it down pretty, pretty, pretty succinctly because you have to have okay so icbms are traveling what 14,000 6,000 excuse me 6,000 uh, milliseconds it depends per, on depends on when they're going up and when they're coming down i know when they're right, coming so down i think it's coming about down, it's like 7 kilometers a minute or a second yeah, rather it's super fast and he's saying the the only way you're going to you the, the most opportune time is to intercept these things is when they're climbing is when they're going up right that's when they're supposedly air quotes lowest but he's talking about that you need it you need an intercept okay so we have interceptors we've got the thad system the ags system the patriot missile system these aren't really designed to hit icbms but the gmds are the ground missile defense systems that are in like Greeley 
in Alaska and things like that. These are these are like local. These are only designed to 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 protect. Let's say let's let's say Washington, right? They're like, okay, everyone else is going to get it because these things aren't designed. They can't stop a full on thousands of of nuclear warheads from from let's let's just say Russia because we know Russia has a lot of nukes, right? All. So those GMDs, those ground missile defense systems, they're the same size as, as a Trident one. They're like a little brother of the Trident or the uh, you know intercontinental ballistic missile. Those things are huge. So what you're trying to say here is, guy, and we know who we're talking about, Trump, is that you're going to put a 200 foot long plus, and I'm just being conservative here, missile in an F-30 on an F-35 and expect it to hit it. You know. I would think, like I looked, I did a quick search here, and I was like, you know, this this is reminding me of the JASM ER, the the Joint Airstrike Missile uh, Extended Range Missile System that Trump bragged about. Do you guys remember the airstrike in April after the the, the Shea Sartoon uh, in Duma, the Syria, the chemical thing? Okay, yeah. Well, he accidentally tweeted out like, you know, I'm gonna paraphrase, you know, suck it, Russia. We have nice new and smarter uh, bombs. He just kind of let the cat out of the bag that they used the ERXL, the, the the new less than hypersonic cruise missile that are it's and its nuclear and nuclear capabilities ambiguous. They, they like can we could probably put a tack nuke on it, but these things are designed to like do bullet to bullet, right? You're trying to hit a bullet with a bullet missile defense interception. And the way that Jerry was breaking it down, he was he, what are you going to put? So basically, you have to put a B one B Lancer within surface-to-air missile range that's up there 24-7 now because our early warning systems aren't, aren't designed enough to get B-1Bs out of, out of cutter. Let's say right, you're, so gonna, you're, you're talking about kind of going back to the days of Strategic Air Command where we've got jets and bombers in the air all the time yeah. right around the territories of, of, the, of our quote-unquote enemies, right? Yeah. But this and time it's F-35s. Calling- that's what I'm saying. They're calling F-35s and the new the, the B-1B is not new, but the new the new start the Lancers have been completely gutted and revamped. Right? They're not nuclear capable. But this is this is why I'm saying it's like it's like the special edition of Star Wars. It's a redux. It's not a new script. They just added new and exciting things to look at. The F-35, the B-1, the JASM ER, the THAAD missile system that we that apparently that you know that's the same thing. It's had limited five to ten limited capability of hitting things, a, a ballistic missile, but we. It's really not sure. Like the Thad missile system was designed to take out, like the Thad, the GMD, and the JASM ER concepts are all designed to, to really kind of design around the fact that what if North Korea launches a nuclear missile? That'll be one, right? That's not an all-out mushroom cloud coming Russia attack, right? It's it's not what's what they're looking at. These are all designed around like rogue nation states that have nuclear weapons, right? Right, because in the you you would think in the event of somebody like Russia launching nukes, we're in a position where it's mutually assured destruction, right? It's just, if, you, if you're going to do a second strike, you're going to do everything. Yeah. So what would be even be the point of these missile defense measures? Because you probably don't have enough to take down everything that they're going to send. I don't think they're defensive. I think they're an offensive weapon. I mean, think of it. No, I, I think you're right, too. No, I think you're right, too. And I think that that's one of the, that's one of the dangers of stuff like this, is that it... It, it pushes a new nuclear. It plays into this new nuclear arms race thing that that Russia is also playing into with the hypersonic warheads, right? Yeah, but are they doing that? Are they doing that? 
are they doing that to try to, to, to try to goose us the way that Reagan did in the eighties by starting? I mean, it's almost like we're taking a playbook from Reagan. We're like, Hey, let's, let's inadvertently start another arms race. I don't think the United States can, I don't think we have the, the, the capital to do that. I think China and I think China specifically has more than China's, uh, our economy is tied so closely to China that we're actually paying China. We would actually be paying China in the cold, in the arms race. They would, we would be giving them money to literally develop their own weapon systems. Now, what I said about Russia, Russia's gross national product, legally, legal gross national product is about the size of Italy. I'm not, I'm not saying they don't have technological advances. I think what Russia's really kind of focused on is the cyber realm. Because if you can shut down SCADA systems, which are, are, you know, systems, you know, online systems that control, I don't know, let's say the power grid or, an on-off, the, the on-off switch for oil, you know, oil pumping or something like infrastructurally, SCADA systems run infrastructure, right? What's the, what's SCADA? Like, spell that out for us. You're going to have to cut this out. I'm going to look it up. I always say SCADA and I, it's a, it, SCADA systems, it's a, a, it's a supervisory control and data acquisition computer system. It's basically like, you know, like the internet of things, those things come to you like, hey, like the, it's the echo or the, or these Amazon Echoes or, or Siri, so you, you, they're, I'm dumbing it down, but these are giant systems that control the flow of, of power, oil. They're just, they're huge industrial computer systems that are dumb. They don't, they don't, they're not front facing what we call as headless. So they don't have like an operating, like a, a user interface. It's these, these SCADA systems are designed specifically to do specific automated things. So like, you know, you see like robots building cars, those are SCADA systems. Those are, those are supervisory control and data acquisition, a computer system gathering, analyzing, just, you know, use real-time data and then you're using it to, it's, they're basically just workers. They're worker systems. It's like, again, we're talking about robots. They, they have a specific function. Uh, do you guys remember Stuxnet? What happened in, in, in Iran? Mm-hmm, absolutely. That was a SCADA, a SCADA attack. That was a SCADA systems attack where they were able to change the RPM of the centrifuges for at a nuclear power plant. They were able to change the RPM because those things spin at an with an oblong rod, right? They're 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 agitating. They're they're the centrifuge, right? If you change the RPM of those, just even by 0.2, 0.3, or even one, they will spin off axis. Those centrifuge centrifuge centrifuges, yeah, centrifuges. Excuse me, not centrifuge. They will spin off axis and enough of that vibration will cavitate and they will, it will, it will basically destroy or worst case scenario cause something to explode. Like the, there's, there's going to be a kinetic response to, to that. So that's like, that's weaponized cyber operations. That's what I feel like Russia has really kind of started to focus on because honestly, I don't believe that Russia can beat us in a head to head fight without using nukes. But yeah, no, I, I I think you're right. Like it's all, and this is it. This is interesting, and I think one of the one of the future, one of the future kind of fronts in war. And I know it's a cliche because we keep saying it over and over again at this point. Uh, but the cyber realm is really big and really important, and I don't think that America is adequately prepared for it at all. And I think Russia and China have been not at all. Not at oh my god, thank you so much. Not at all. We are awful at this. We are terrible. Look, 
there's a small core. We all know where they're at, and they're very good at this. But the issue, the the issue is, is, is that there's an offensive and defensive cyber operations war. There's warfare going on, and people don't really. They're like traditional warfare is someone shoots a bullet, someone dies, and there's explosions, there's there's everything else like that. But what I just explained with Stuxnet, that's a, that is a that is a digital attack that that resulted in a kinetic, you know, end of what they were doing. That is. You, there, I mean, there, there's things that people, there's, there's, there's things out there that scare the shit out of me. Like, what happens if Russia or China, and this is worst case scenario, if they owned the entire U.S. power grid or grid in general, they could, in essence, do a cyber EMP, and we don't have anything that works. We have nothing that works. And, and then they could just roll in and do whatever they need to do. You know, is the is the is the American power grid really that interconnected? Uh, I, I think it is. I mean, I've read a lot of art. I, I don't. I think we're so interconnected because it, the ease uh, it, we we're inherently lazy people. Uh, so I think you know it's very interconnected. Uh, I believe that there's there's been since Stuxnet and since some other incidences that's happened in the United States with like you know brownout un, 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 unknown reasons of brownouts and especially in New York City and D.C. and things like that. I mean, there's a lot of things that are happening. And people can just dismiss it to some 300-pound fat hacker kid living in his mom's basement. I think that right there, that moniker that the Trump administration and a lot of other people agree with is holistically wrong. I mean, China has an entire island dedicated to cyber operations, an entire island that they actually built in the Hainan. You're talking about – back up just a second. You're talking about attribution. You're yeah. saying that attribution is a little bit easier than people think it is. Yeah, sorry. Those, yeah, let's use the big word. Yeah, I think it's a lot easier – than people think it is. I think, I think it is. I think, I, I, I think that the, I think that cybersecurity has been an issue since 2004, and it's been briefed to the Senate Armed Services Oversight Committee since then. It's been, you know, they just people just don't focus on it. They because they, if they don't understand it, the the threats that they're they're used to is is this the the Star Wars two program. All of a sudden, we're you know we've got some guy who just thinks that we're, he's living in the 1980s and and you know. People are going to launch nuclear weapons. That's not what's going to happen. It's going to be a three, four, or five-pronged attack. I mean, nuclear weapons is going to be the last resort, the last resort of anything. So missile defenses is just – I just think it's a boondoggle. Why are we not dumping the trillions of dollars that it's going to take to appease him with – you know, drone sharks with lasers on their heads to try to take out an ICBM traveling at 13 13 to 14,000 miles per hour on the entry – when we could possibly be in the cybersecurity realm and stop that launch through surreptitious means through cyber through uh, offensive and defensive cyber attacks before it even leaves the ground, and that's what China and Russia are doing. Well, that would require us to have a robust foreign intelligence service, which I'm not sure we do right now, right? <sighs> um, I don't think the fusion cells are working. To be honest with you. I really don't. What do you mean? I think the national, I think the national security agency should be running the national security agency operation. I don't think that they should be having fusion cells with the Department of Defense because the Department of Defense feels left out on on a lot of things. I think I think the fusion cells when they first got together there was a grow like a growing pains right after nine eleven, and I think it kind of I think it found it I think it found its leveling point its homeostasis and and but now there's these, these there's these new threats that you have a lot of intelligent people at the office of national defense Intelli- you know a national intelligence that are saying look here's the writing on the wall it's just that we don't have 
there's not one entity or one person that can say, okay, across the board on all levels of, uh, you know, in U.S. intelligence services, this is what's, you know, priority. Here's your budget. You know, I think, I think they try to do that. And I'm, and I'm specifically talking about, you know, intelligence operations through, uh, cyber operations, SIGINT, signals intelligence. And I think we've pushed hugely away from human intelligence. I mean, I think, I think it's just become, we've become kind of lazy with the fact that, you know, we're in Afghanistan or we're in Iraq or Syria. I mean, it's, and I don't think we're looking past that. So no, I don't, I believe, I agree with you. I don't think we have a robust U.S. intelligence apparatus. I think it's conflicted. It's like we've been focusing on the forever war for so long that we've lost sight of any kind of long-term planning at all. I don't think I don't think we can. I think I think we're I think we've been reactionary, Matt, for about seventeen years. Mm-hmm. I really do. Well, I think that's a really great and depressing place to end uh, this introductory <laughs> episode of War College, which is usually how we do. So some 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 aspects of the show aren't going to change, uh, but we will be back next week. With a new episode, with a guest, where we're all going to be sitting and talking to them. And I hope you guys, I hope the audience comes along with us. I hope you like the new stuff, and I hope you keep listening. Yeah, this will be a good, this will be a good time, I think. Yeah, this is going to be really good. That's this week's episode of War College. Thank you so much for listening. Back to regular business next week. We're going to be talking to some people about what the hell is going on in Syria. Uh, I think you guys are going to enjoy the show. Derek's got a lot of experience. Kevin has a lot of knowledge. They're going to be bring a, a little bit of a different voice to the show, but I'm excited. War College is me, Matthew Galt, and Derek, Derek Gannon. Of course, Kevin Nodell is the associate producer. Uh, we will be back next week. If you like the show, please like and subscribe. Leave us a review on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash war college podcast on Twitter at underscore underscore college or on the web at warcollege.co. And we will see you next week. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.